Amen. Ladies, thank you for that beautiful song tonight. A wonderful message. We can believe the promises of God, and we can see His mighty hand at work. If you have a Bible, please open with me tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We normally go through the book of 2 Corinthians verse by verse on Sunday mornings, but because of a special day like today, bumped it to the evening and did the uh, message this morning about are you really free, making the 911 divine call in order to be saved. 2 Corinthians 7. Paul has been sharing the trials of life and the attacks by false teachers in the church of Corinth. We now come to the portion of the letter where, we, uh, where Paul is going to share the good news that he has been waiting for. And so to understand the background here, Paul has gone to the city of Corinth on his second missionary journey. He led people to Christ in this very wicked and cosmopolitan city. Spent 18 months there, baptized many folks. They organized a church. He, he writes to us and tells us it's a rather large church. It could have been a church. A thousand, two thousand members could have been a very large church because many people, according to Jesus, were going to come to Christ in this place. And so he wrote four letters to them. Two of those letters became part of the Bible, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Uh, he wrote his first letter before he wrote 1st Corinthians. So in 1st Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 he says, I wrote unto you in, a, in an epistle not to company with fornicators. So that would have been his first letter and he refers to it in 1st Corinthians. 1st uh, Corinthians then is his second letter. Uh, then he went to visit them after he had left and was on his next missionary journey. And uh, in that visit did not go well. In that visit that Paul went to be able to, uh, to see if they received his rebuke of 1 Corinthians, someone actually opposed him to his face. It appears that it occurred during a church service and nobody stood up to defend the Apostle Paul. And it broke his heart. He was so heartbroken over it, and then he wrote them, and he refers to that, we're going to call it the third letter in 2 Corinthians 2, 3, I wrote the same unto you when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice. He said, you know, I promised to come to you again, but you know, if I come again, it's going to add sorrow upon sorrow, so I really don't think I should come. My heart is just broken. And the third letter then is called the severe letter. The severe letter is the third letter. And then he sends Titus to find out how they're going to receive the third letter or the severe letter. And we don't know if Titus actually took the third letter with him or if Titus is now just going and he's going to find out what the response of the Corinthians are. So now we come to 2 Corinthians. This is the fourth letter. And now we're going to find out how they receive Paul's message. Will they turn from their mutiny against the Apostle Paul? Do they desire to restore the relationship that has now been broken with their apostle, their founding pastor, their missionary? This certainly is Paul's desire to have a reconciliation. Would you stand with me as we pick up the text, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 2. Receive us. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. 
I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. He's telling them how much he loves them. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in our tribulation. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it made, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire or zeal, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, in all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. Yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting which I made before Titus is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembered the obedience of all, how with fear and trembling he received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. All that to say, this is good news. It's good news for us. May we pray. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. And I pray that you'll speak to our hearts as we think of, of broken relationships in families, in friendships, in working relationships. Give us a wisdom as we understand how these relationships 2,000 years ago were mended and healed. May we learn from them and may we help others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. My message titled tonight is, How to Help Your Pastor. Subtitle, Restoring Broken Relationships. And that certainly affects us all. When you think about family, friendships, work relationships. And so Paul begins with these two words. Look with me in verse 2. He simply says, receive us. Receive us. Can you not hear his heart's cry 
Receive us. Make room in your hearts for us. Open your hearts up. Uh, In this we see his desire to restore the broken relationship that he has with many of these folks. But it takes two people to restore a broken relationship. And Paul says, I'm all in for you. I'm all in. And so tonight... Uh, There may be something in your past, there may be something in your present, that there is a broken relationship. It could be husband and wife, it could be parent and child, it could be brother and sister, uh, it could be a friendship, and tonight we're going to see how to be able to have those relationships restored, but it takes two. And Paul is all in, and the question is, will the Corinthians be all in? So he gives some reasons for this request receive us. First of all is his integrity. He says in verse 2, he says, we have wronged no man. That means we have not injured anyone. Uh, Apparently someone has accused Paul of injuring others, but it was not true. He's hurt no one. They could have said that he injured the incestuous man of 1 Corinthians 5 when he said in verse 5, he says, he says, you turn this man over to Satan. Why? For the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be saved in the, uh, in the day uh, of the Lord Jesus. But it is always a loving thing to confront someone in sin, especially immorality, because immorality hurts. It hurts you. It hurts other people. So he says, we've wronged no man, even though, even though the accusation against us, that's not true. Secondly, we've corrupted no man. They have falsely accused Paul of immorality, uh, but it was not true, not at all. We have defrauded no man. Uh, Paul has not used anyone in this church or anywhere else for personal gain. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, he said, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. In fact, the opposite was true. Uh, He said, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. Uh, Meaning that that, uh, these people were not faithful in giving their tithes and offerings and supporting him and the church. And so he took the support of others to be able to minister to them. And so he has a life of integrity. The charges are false against him. Secondly, his loyalty. Look how he loves them in verse 3 and 4. I speak not this to condemn, uh, to, to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and to live with you. He's telling them he loves them. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. In spite of all the heartache they brought him, he says... When I think about you, I'm comforted. When I think about you, I'm encouraged. When I think about you, I love you. There is nothing in my heart but forgiveness. And so he tells them he still loves them. Now he's going to set the stage of what's happening. And we see that in verse 5. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. You might recall from earlier messages uh, that Paul had said he was, he was in Troas. He told us in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, A door of preaching uh, opportunity was open to me, but I had no rest in my spirit. He had a great open door, and Paul walked away from an open door because he was so upset. He was so upset over what was happening with the Corinthians. Back there, he said, 
uh, chapter 2, verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. And so what Paul is talking about is one of the most difficult times of his life. He said, Titus has gone to get the news. Titus hasn't returned. I have no rest of my spirit. I'm just so upset. And so he goes to Macedonia. In chapter 1, he tells us uh, that what happened to him uh, was, was so severe that he said, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. We were pressed out of measure above strength in so much we despaired even of life. Verse 10, he says, God delivered us from so great a death. You have to feel his pain. You have to understand his heartache. Our flesh had no rest. We're troubled on every side. Outside the church, uh, we have fightings, persecutions. Inside the church, we have fears. We have threats. I mean, this is the, the low point of his life and ministry. He talks about the persecutions. He talks about the care of all the churches and the young men that he has to be able to mentor. And now he has all of these attacks. And in this low point in chapter 2, remember what he said, now we triumph in Christ. I'm just a foot soldier for Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm going to be encouraged no matter what happens. But at this point, now he tells us the good news. Titus returns to him. Titus shows up. Titus gives the report about the Corinthians. What is it going to be? Verse 6. In verse 6, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down. He's talking about himself. He says, I have been cast down. I have been comforted by the coming of Titus. Now he refers to God, the God that comforteth those that are cast down. He did this back in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Do you remember that? He begins his epistle saying that God, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, God comforts us, uh, and with the same comfort that we receive from God, we're to be able to give to others who are in the same kind of situation. You want to know why you go through some trials? You go through some trials that God will help you so you can help others. What a new perspective on trials. God lets you suffer so that he can help you so you can help someone else in the future who is going to suffer. And now he comes back and refers to God the same way. God, the God who comforts us. But the coming of Titus brought joy to his heart. Uh, the comfort is mentioned six times here. Joy or rejoicing five times. This downtrodden pastor, this beat up missionary is given courage when Titus shows up. You know, God knows just how much we can take. When you think you're just at the breaking point, God will bring you some relief. Titus came. What a reunion. I mean, they're hugging and they're smiling. Get out the ice cream. Get out the pie. We're going to sit down and have a little hymn sing here, and we're going to rejoice. We're going to have a party together. We celebrate tonight. But wait. There's more good news than simply Titus showing up. It's verse 7. And not only by his coming from the Corinthians only, but by the consolation, the comfort wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me so that I rejoice the more. Man, it was good to have Titus show up, but it was better 
One, I got the news, what Titus told me about you. How had they received his rebuke? How had they received his loving confrontation? The report from Titus is very simple. Paul, they want your forgiveness. Paul, they want to restore the relationship with you that has been broken. Man, this brings great joy to Paul because he loves them so much. And as we've learned, the people you love most can hurt you the deepest. And they did. But now, they want it to be restored. And we all know what it's like to have a broken relationship, whether it be friendship or marriage or parent-child or brother-sister. How many times have you heard someone say that uh, uh, they have not talked to a family member? And I've heard conversations like this. Uh, I haven't talked to them in a year. I haven't talked to them in two years. I've heard people say to me, you know, I haven't talked to that family member in 10 years. I've had people say, I haven't talked to that family member in 20 years. I don't even know where they are. I don't know if they're even still alive or not. You talk about broken relationships. Paul wanted it to be restored And now the Corinthians want a full restoration. The question is, how can we know for sure? How do we know if it's real? How does a wife know when she should take that husband back? How does a husband know when he should take that wife back? How does a parent know when to take back that son or that daughter after being betrayed? It is a fair question. How do you know when to believe a person who says, I've changed? I want to make it right. What do we look for? How do we know that repentance is real? Follow with me the elements of a genuinely restored relationship. The first one is loyalty. Loyalty. We see that in in verse 7. And he says, I have comfort and this consolation uh, from you. And, And he says, Titus was comforted when he told us of your earnest desire for me, your mourning for me, your fervent mind for me. Together, these three characteristics describe what we call loyalty. You know, loyalty is the most desirable virtue in any relationship. Uh, Paul was their spiritual father. Paul was, was an apostle. He had the place of spiritual leadership. And now, they're going to accept his leadership back into their lives. The first characteristic in helping your pastor, the first characteristic in restoring a relationship is loyalty. Now, the word for fervent mind is it's zeal. It means to hate anything that would harm the relationship. You know, David says this in Psalm. Uh, it is in Psalm 69.9. It's a strange phrase. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Has that ever puzzled you? I mean, that's puzzled me for a long time. It sounds really good. The zeal of thine house hath heated me up. What is he saying? He's saying, God, I just love you so much. I love you so much. God, I am so loyal to you. God, I despise and shun and hate anything that would hinder my relationship with you and worshiping you in your house. Loyalty, dedication, 
commitment. God, I am madly in love with you. That's loyalty. And this is an evidence that the relationship can be restored. Secondly is repentance. Repentance, we find it in verse uh, 8 to 10. We pick it up in verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, that's letter number 3, the severe letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. The Corinthians not only responded in a right way to Paul's letter, but also to God. Paul knew that he had caused them sorrow or grief by his letter. Paul is a, he is a reluctant disciplinarian. How many times have we heard it said that a dad getting ready to spank his son or daughter, they say something like, this is going to hurt me more than what? Yeah, you heard that too, huh? Uh, then they carry out the discipline. What mom or dad, why would mom or dad say that? Why would they feel that way? Because what they're saying is, I don't want to do this. But I read in my Bible that I'm supposed to do this because I love you. He that, that chasteneth his son, he that loveth his son, chasteneth him betimes. We spank our young children because we love them. It's not punishment. It's, 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 not, it's not being mean. Uh, it, it's, not a, it's not really a punishment. It's a correction for whom the Lord loves he chastens. And so when a parent, when a parent is in this situation and they have to spank their children, and this is why in parenting classes we talk about where to spank, when to spank, who to spank, and how to be able to do it. You do it in a proper way, and the parent has this heartache. This is going to hurt me more. The emotional hurt of the mom or the dad to be able to inflict this spanking upon the child because we know it's going to hurt them. And that saddens our heart. But we do it because we want to help them. We love them. And there are all kinds of sad stories of of, of parents who haven't spanked their kids and have created a great heartache uh, for those kids because they didn't love them enough to do it. It's because we love them. And Paul's saying that here. Paul loved them so deeply that any pain that, that uh, they would experience, he would have it too. Now when he says, I do not repent, though I did repent. What does that mean? That means I do not regret it, though I did regret it for a short time. I do not regret it, but I did regret it for a short time. Today, we would use the term tough love. Tough love. It is not loving to support someone in sin. You understand that if you were to attend a, an RU meeting, uh, you would hear this term of the word enabling. You are an enabler. And so it is among teenagers and single adult children and married adult children where, where if this mom or the dad, they just, keep, they just keep giving the money to their family member and they use it for drugs and alcohol and destructive behavior. You are an enabler. You're not helping them. You got a lazy son or daughter and, and you're the gravy train. You keep giving them the money. You're not helping them. Now, hey. We always want to help a family member who has a genuine need. But to be able to help family members or friends who are disobedient to God and his word, that's not helping, that's enabling. And Paul says you need tough love, and that is exactly what his letter was. 
tough love. And so we see in verse 9, he gave the hard letter. It hurt his heart. It hurt them. Verse 9, now I rejoice. Not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. You let this sorrow bring you to God, not drive you from him. The result would be, if you didn't get right, you would have lost at the judgment seat of Christ, but you made things right. Verse 10, for godly sorrow worked repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. The Corinthians, their sorrow was not the sorrow of self-pity. It wasn't the sorrow of getting caught but a genuine repentance. Now, let me give you two men. Uh, I believe we talked about it in uh, the parenting classes last week, who were sorrowful for different reasons. These two men did very similar actions against Jesus Christ. And they both became sorry. But I want you to see the difference. The one man is Peter. Peter in the same night had said, Lord, I will, I will die for you. And he took a sword along with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. He kept falling asleep, but when he woke up and the army came, he pulls the sword out. He cuts off Malchus' ear. Remember that? Jesus said, put away your sword. And Jesus went down, and out of the dirt, he picks up, he picks up the dismembered ear. And he picks it up, and he wipes off the dirt. And Malchus, Malchus is just writhing in pain. Blood's pouring out of the side of his head. And Jesus puts it on his head, uh, 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 reattaches it. Or you talk about the great physician doing surgery. And aren't you glad this is a Sunday night service where all the little kids could be here to hear this? You know? <laughs> and, and Jesus heals him. He heals him. The blood's all gone. And, and he's in great shape. But you know, Peter, Peter ran. And they took the Lord and they took him into the judgment hall. The doors were open. It was a cold night. There were fires. And so what happened is uh, they said, you're with him. And she's, Peter says, I know not the man. I know not the man. Twice he denies. But in the third denial of the Lord Jesus Christ, he took an oath and he swore, I know not the man. And the cock crew and through the door, the Bible says, the eyes of Jesus Christ and the eyes of Peter, their eyes locked in that gaze. And in that moment, the immensity of his denial of his Lord hit him so hard. And he was sorry. He was sorry. He was so sorry. He went out and the Bible says that he wept bitterly. God, would you forgive me? God, please forgive me. This, I, I would rather be dead than do what I did. The shame was great. But we know that it was only three days later in a Sunday night service, the doors being locked, Peter got to see his resurrected Savior. What a great night. And it was just a few days later up in Galilee, and he said to him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep three times. And Peter is restored. The relationship is restored because of repentance. 
But we have another man, and his name is Judas. And the very same night, he took money. He betrayed our Lord. And he said, the man whom I kiss, that's your man. And Jesus Christ was led to his beating and crucifixion. And the Bible says in Matthew that Judas repented himself. He too was sorry But he wasn't sorry for his sin. It wasn't a godly sorrow that worked repentance. And so what he did is he went out and he took his life. He hung himself and Acts 1 says he didn't do a very good job at that. And he hit the rocks below and he died. He is the son of perdition, which means the son of hell, which means Satan himself entered into that man. What a contrast. So being sorry is not the issue. It is the godly sorrow by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will only bring you guilt that will bring you to God. Any guilt that you have that beats you up and beats you down, it is either from Satan and his demons, it is either from your own human logic, but it is not from God. Because the sorrow and conviction of God leads you to God, not away from God. This is very important to understand. Thirdly, we see purity. Look at verse 11. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, what clearing of yourselves and indignation and fear and zeal and vehement desire, uh, what revenge and all these things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. This is purity. What does repentance look like? How does it show up in your life? It is a U-turn. There will be an aggressive turning towards holiness and purity. You demonstrated your integrity, you Corinthians, by your turning towards purity, your turning towards holiness. And Paul gives seven characteristics of purity. I just read them to you. The carefulness or the desire to live a righteous life. They were eager to make things right. They, they, there will be a passion to make it right. It's not... Uh, where someone says, well, I think I want our marriage to work. I think I still love you. I don't know how I really feel, but I'm willing to give it a try if you are. That's not repentance. A man who's been unfaithful, a woman who's been unfaithful, they want to rebuild trust, and they're willing to be able to do anything to be able to demonstrate that purity in their life. There's a desire to live righteous. And then the clearing of yourselves. We get our word for apologetics from this word. It means a speech of a defense. They wanted to clear their name and remove the stigma of their sin against Paul. The indignation. This is the anger at your sin. It is being upset at the reproach you brought upon yourself and upon Christ. They hate their sin. They hate their disloyalty to Paul. They hated their reluctance for not coming to Paul's defense when someone stood up and withstood Paul. They did nothing, and by their silence, they were guilty of being disloyal. Notice he says the fear. This is a reverential fear in all of God. They had been arrogant. They had been prideful towards God, prideful towards God's leaders in the church. The vehement desire. They long to see Paul, the passion, a passion for God in his holiness. Now notice the revenge. What revenge? Truly repentant people have a strong desire to see justice done to make restitution for the wrongs they have committed. Remember little Zacchaeus? 
Zacchaeus, we teach the kids the song. He climbs up in the tree because the Lord's going to pass by. Jesus passed by. Zacchaeus, come down from going to your house today. And what happens to Zacchaeus in his heart? What happens? He gets, he gets saved. You know what he says? He says, anyone I have wronged, I will restore fourfold. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make restitution. That's what this word means. They want to make it right. And so, this is what happens. This is what happens in verse 11. We are approved in all things. You have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. All the offenses against Paul, we want to be clear. We want, we want them to be gone. The next one, spirituality, verse 12. The Corinthians had been a carnal and fleshly bunch of people. And when they came back to Paul, they're going to turn from carnality to spirituality. And so in verse 12, he says, Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong. There's the, there's the man against Paul. Nor for his cause that suffered the wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. I wrote you the severe letter. I didn't write it for the cause of the man who did the wrong. Now, some people believe the man who did the wrong is the guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The other choice is it is the man who opposed Paul, this false leader who has influenced others. A demon-possessed man that led the false teacher group in the mutiny. And it appears to me that he is referring to the man who led the mutiny. They had been so deceived that they came to a view of Paul that they did not really believe deep in their heart, but that our care for you and the sight of God might appear unto you. I know what you really feel, Paul says. You love me deep down in your heart. You have confidence in me deep down in your heart. You trust me deep down in your heart. You know that I'm the servant of God, but your sin has covered you up. Your sin has blinded you. Uh, I have experienced this. I have discovered that people who backslide don't like me. I don't understand it. I mean, I tell people all the time, I am the most reasonable guy I know. Uh, many of you, there's a hundred of you, you've heard me say that. My, my wife likes me. You like me? She loves me. I love her. Pastor Colton, you love me? All right, give me, let me feel <laughs> Brother Panero's rubbing off on me. <laughs> but I find, you know, when people are not right with God, it's kind of like this thing. You know, they're, they're pointing at someone else and attacking. But they really got three fingers coming back at them, which is the real problem. And their thumb is pointing where the answer is. You know, Jesus said it this way. He said, you have this beam in your eye, Matthew 7. Telephone pole. You got a beam in your eye, but you're so busy trying to pick out the splinter, the little toothpick out of someone else's eye. You need to get this thing right. You need to look at the real problem, and it's the person in the mirror. It's the man in the mirror. And so this is what Paul has experienced. When people backslide, they get mad at me. They get mad at other spiritual leaders. This is what Jesus referred to. Someone begins to treat other people in a wrong way. It could be their spouse. It could be their child. It could be their parent. It could be their friend. And they begin to blame them for their minor mistakes. 
All the while, they have a major sin in their own heart and life. How many family members begin to fight with other family members because they're so fed up with their own sin? It's their sin that's the problem. You know, it's so easy for kids to get bitter with their parents, to get angry at their parents. I mean, the ones who they owe most in life. And they put their friends on this pedestal, and they treat their parents like trash. It's true in many marriages. I mean, you have this wonderful husband, you have this wonderful wife, and all you can focus on are these little, minor, petty problems and mistakes. Oh, thank God for your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your children, your friends. And if you will get spirit-filled, if you'll get spiritual, you will remember that love covers a multitude of sins. It is a genuine element to restore a relationship. And then there's unity, verse 13. The Corinthians turning their back, turning back to God brought great joy to Titus. Notice verse 13. Therefore we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceeding the more joyed we for the joy of Titus because his spirit was refreshed by you all. You all. He does this a couple of times. And many people think Paul's a southerner because he says, you all, you all. Well, he might have been from southern Tarsus, all right? Uh, But uh, he's talking about the whole church now is unified together. Titus was so full of joy because he saw the change in them. He saw the unity. Titus saw the obedience of you all. It was real unity. Now, if you want to know about a church that had cliques and divisions, this is the church. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. I mean, they were fractured, and they had all these divisions, but not now. Not now. Uh, they, uh, they are coming together, and for the first time in a long time, they are once again united. Now, there is still a couple of pockets of rebellion, but the larger majority congregation is unified behind the Apostle Paul. How did this happen? Well, let me give you the picture. The letter comes, and as was the custom in those days, because they didn't have the New Testament yet, they would have their gathering, they would sing together, they would pray together, and now we have a letter from our brother Paul. And the letter was read. It was a severe, stinging, tough love letter. And it started with just a few people, and they said, we have sinned before God. It's kind of like that, uh, uh, that prodigal son. Oh, God, we have sinned. Oh, Lord, would you please forgive us? And, and that, that small group of people that have true repentance, they begin to talk to other people, and, and the, uh, uh, yeah, they call it the scuttlebutt, the, 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 the talk in the, in the foyer is, you know, we were wrong. We should have stood up for Paul. We should be united behind Paul. And so uh, they, they persuaded others until you get to this place where, where they all in unity say, we were wrong. We mistreated Paul. We must repent. We must turn from it. If you are a gossiper, then you will stop gossiping and you will try and make it right. Where there is true repentance, those who are truly repentant, they will influence others because that is the right thing to do. You know, this is the cause of most church splits. People 
doing the opposite, going on a campaign to vindicate themselves, vindicate their position. They want to convince people that they are right and the other person is wrong. It could be a family member, it could be a friend, and uh, it could be a church leader. Paul said to the Romans, he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. You got a gossiper that comes your way? You need to be able to avoid them. Number six is obedience, verses 14 and 15. This is really good. You see, they had rebelled against Paul's leadership and his teaching, but now they're going to follow him. And so in verse 14, For I have, if I have boasted anything to him of you, to Titus, I'm not ashamed, but as we spake, all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus. I said, Titus, uh, before he left, I said, Titus, I'm confident they are going to respond right. Titus, I just know it in my heart. Now, he says, your response made my confidence true. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Hebrews 13, 17. And then the last thing we find here is, uh, is verse 16. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. It's trust. It's trust. Uh, their response, their life change is rebuilding trust. Uh, do you remember what Pe President Reagan used to say when he was dealing with uh, the communists? He said, trust but verify something our own president needs to learn a page out of the Reagan handbook on how to rule a country and deal with, uh, with our enemies. Trust, but verify. And the things that I've just given to you tonight are the verification, the loyalty, and the repentance, and the purity, and the spirituality, and the unity, and the obedience. And all that is the verification. He says, Corinthians, I trust you. I trust you. You are clear in this matter. The relationship is restored once again. God can do this. He can do this. And he says, I have great joy because you have come back to the Lord and you have come back to me. So restoring broken relationships. What do you need? Yes, you need a contrite heart. You need a humble heart. And all of these things will begin to flow. Loyalty, repentance, Purity, spirituality, unity, obedience. And then, and then comes the trust. And God did it then and he can do it today. He's done it in the past and he can do it in the present. How can a wife forgive a sinning husband? How can a husband forgive a sinning wife? I restore trust. I restore trust. I trust you. Can a parent say that to an errant child who has broken trust? Can a child say that to a parent who has made some mistakes? Can a pastor say that to a church member who has attacked them and told lies about them? Confidence means to be courageous. And Paul says, I am bold to trust you. So can you and I with others who demonstrate that kind of, of reconciliation talking about a new way to live with an old enemy. I just want you to know that what we have covered tonight is, is the heart of the Apostle Paul. And basically what, what you have here is the worst church in the New Testament just became the best church. The worst Christians 
in the Roman Empire just became the best Christians because they heard the word of God and they believed it and they let God do a work of of sorrow and repentance in their life and they changed. That's the power of God. Yes, there were just a, 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 a few people against Paul, but now the solid majority is behind the apostle. Thus ends the first section of 2 Corinthians chapters 1 to 7. Much more to come. Exciting stuff. May we pray. Father, thank you for the word of God and the power of it to teach us about life and to teach us about friendships and relationships and family. And now I pray that we'll just get honest. We'll just get honest with you and honest with ourselves. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And, and I can't help but think there are, there are hundreds in here who have experienced the tension of broken relationships. And right now, you might have a tension against a husband, against a wife, against a son, against a daughter, against a mom, against a dad, against a brother, or against a sister. And you know what? God calls you to do your part. You can't change them. You do your part. You get right with God. You let God do the work in their heart, but you be right with God. And we are to pray for those who despitefully use us. We are to bless those who curse us. We are to do good to those who treat us in the wrong way. Just do your part. Just do right. Do right. Now, thank God this is not a corrective measure to our church family. Thank you for your love and support to me, to our associate pastors, our deacons, our church leaders. Thank God for the unity. But because we have the unity, Satan wants to attack it before the final amen is said tonight in this service. Would you determine, would you determine, I'm going to be loyal to God, be loyal to my church, my Lord, the leadership, the friendship, and the family. If God speaks to your heart and you know it is on you to reach out to God or to someone else, family or friend, because you have been in the wrong, would you let God do that for you tonight? Would you be like the Corinthians and let that, that, that stinging conviction bring godly sorrow that brings repentance? And you say, you know, that's me. It, it's with the family member. It's with a friend. It's with the church leader. It's with a coworker, And I've been in the wrong. My attitude's been wrong. My words have been wrong. My actions have been wrong. The Spirit of God has brought godly sorrow, and I want to turn from it. Would you simply raise your hand? That's you. It's you tonight all over, all over. Young people, anything in your life, anything in your relationships with your parents, your brother, your sister, your friends, let God have his way. Father, thank you for your word and the power of it, blessing the invitation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we stand together.